everyone and welcome to another Scots Wahey podcast and we're recording this in the Socky Hall Street branch of Waterstones where later tonight Donald S. Murray, the poet and writer, will be launching, or at least it's the Glasgow launch, of his novel And the Woman Lay Dreaming and he's going to talk to us first. Hello Donald. Hello, hi. It's lovely to be here. Um, now, I reviewed this novel for Scots Way Hay. Um, it was a, a very moving book uh, for me. It's, it's based on one specific incident, and it's an incident which you know better than I do. So if you could just explain a little yes. bit about the book. It's, uh, the men, it's about when the men from the, many of the men from the Westerners, and Lewis and Harris in, uh, in particular, uh, were returning from the First World War on the 1st of January 1919, thinking that their you know, days of conflict and loss and grief were over. But of course, the ship went down in the harbour, about a mile away just from their home port. So there were actually people who were washed up on the sand on the shoreline of the own land at that yeah. time. So it is not so much about that event itself, it's about the after effects of it and how it permeated, you know, Lewis' life in particular, and, you know, the life of my village, because even before that, Lewis had lost more men per head of population than any other part of Britain. Oh, right. Yeah, so that's, you know, that, that is uh, because of an awful lot of, you know, there are an awful lot of men who were part of the Royal Naval Reserve, where the bulk of these men came from, Merchant Navy, and also volunteered uh, to fight in the conflict, you know, so... For instance, uh, I lost two great uncles. Um, my uh, next door neighbour lost three of his brothers right. in, the, in the conflict. So it had a huge effect on the place. Um, the vast majority of houses in my village, when I was growing up, were occupied by spinsters and widows, all dressed from morning to night in black. And I think that had huge, so I think it was, it, it was the trauma, the effects of the trauma, not just of the Isle but also the First World War, you know, permeated the whole place. So the effect of the, the First World War was, was a huge thing anyway, and then this disaster being so, um, offering some hope, uh, so close to land, but then that being dashed, uh, and, and you can't imagine anything. No, you can't, you can't imagine it. It's just, you know, it's the most awful, you know, check that fate could ever play on people. You know, they're just there. Some of them have written the telegrams, you know, telling their wives they're going to be home the next morning, and yeah. they never actually turn up. Uh, so, you know, that's profound. And, and I think, you know, it was also a tragedy that has been, has been barely noticed. I think there are a number of reasons for that. Um, people didn't really talk about it. Yes. Way up until about, I mean, it's only about, I would, you know, the late 70s, people began to talk about, even then, it was a trickle of words rather than a, you know, a, a, a whole conversation. So... That was that was an initial uh, uh, thing. The other, of course, is it came at the end of a conflict where there had been a great deal of loss, you know, throughout the British Isles, and there was also the Spanish flu. People had had enough yeah. of awful news, and sure. this was just a final thing. So I think there's so many reasons why, in many ways, it was an invisible disaster. Because I um, didn't hear about it till I was in my mid-thirties, and yeah. this was through um, a, 
friend of mine from university at the time yes. called Rudy McIver, who we were yes, at an event, yes. and he got up to sing this song and he explained about the song. Yes. And my first feeling was, how do I not know about mm. it? How has I got to this yeah. age in life and living all my years in Scotland mm. and not know about it? But so it's interesting to you to kind of explain that. Yeah. Is it also, I mean, my uh, experience of education uh, in the 70s and in the yeah. 80s was that Scottish historical events were not really... Well, see, that was certainly not my experience. I know that, that I, you know, I've heard that. I was very, very lucky in my school days. I had a, an, a wonderful English teacher who was new on the block and um, I, I had great enthusiasm for, you know, Grassy Gibbon and uh, Robert Burns and... Edwin Muir, um, so that you know, in terms of literature, yeah, I had a great deal of knowledge. But I, I do believe that the silence, you know, was largely caused by the trauma, right? Yeah, and the inability to speak about it because if they did speak about it, they would lose control. Yeah. So that certainly in the, in Lewis, I think that's you know it, it, there was there was there were that kind of inhibition. Um, and it, also probably mixed by Calvinism. Yeah. With Calvinism, you you know you have to solve it. Yes, yes. You have to solve it. That, this, I, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was this idea of a small community yeah. having such tragedy. Because yeah. I think you're right. I think that it's almost like well, we shut our borders to this. We we we, we close up as a community and yeah. um, and we don't share it with anyone yes. anyone else. And you think that's probably that's what happened. And and I think also. I mean, I think there's a whole host of, of things that, you know, that came out of that. One was, uh, I think, you know, people who spoke the Gaelic language, for instance, you know, uh, began to see that term as, as something that was associated with doom and despair, you know, particularly after that event. So I think that even had a psychological effect, and, uh, you know, on Gaelic speakers, possibly, you know, out with Lewis, you know. Um, also, you know, the, there was a wave of emigration afterwards, yeah. and I, I think there were a number of reasons for that. One was, you know, the, the darkness that kind of, you know, bound the whole community, but also, just as importantly, um, I think um, when men leave their own community, particularly those on farms and crofts, they find it very hard to settle down again. Yeah. You know, the old American expression, you know, how are they going to settle down on the farm now that they've seen Paris? I think that's a song. Right, I'm, I'm yeah. probably not quoting that directly, <laughs> exactly. But, but it's an interesting it, point. Yeah. Yes, I think they want to... They, they've seen other parts of the world. They've seen different ways of even architecture, you know, the, the basic housing structure, which was poor in Lewis at that time. So I think that was another... There were a whole mix of reasons. Because there's, there's many, many themes in the book, and I yeah. think uh, you've touched upon a couple there. Um, but, but you've got the central character of Tormund. Taramut. Taramut. It's that Taramut. It's an A sound. Right. And it's, it's actually a very Norse name. It's Nordic. You know, it's after the god Thor. But somehow or other it became... In history, it became the translation for Norman. Now, okay. what on earth it has to do with Norman? I've no idea, you know. But he um, is uh, off to war, yes. and he has new experiences and meets different yes. people. People yes. that um, uh, some people try and keep him in his place, yes, in yes, of course, of course. Yes. but also some people that fire his imagination yes. and, and he starts to draw and he yes. starts to yes. see that. Yes. 
there are other possibilities than the life that was set out for him. Yes. Yeah. So why did you decide to have that in the book? That's I, I think, uh, um, well, I think one of the, the things, if I had somebody there who was a central figure who was desperate to go home, you know, in a curious way, you're cheapening the tragedy uh, by somebody there who doesn't want to go home, who sees there are possibilities, but feels, you know, forced to by the fact that he's got this marriage, you know, there, uh, second, the fact that he's got a child who he probably doesn't even know yeah. at the time uh, and probably never gets to know because yeah. of the loss of the gap of four years. And, you know, other things like, I, I, I mean, I thought it was really important to have a character, you know, rather than have this nostalgic homesickness, but one that resented going home. And yet, because of the tragedy, he is imprisoned. Well, there yeah. may be other things, and he's imprisoned by the community that he doesn't really want to be a part of. It. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm really fascinated by the structure of the book. Yeah. Because many people, I think, would put the tragedy at the beginning yeah. and then the fallout would happen from that, even if it's through the years and decades yeah. or whatever. But what you've done is kind of, in a way, not turn on its head, that's too simplistic, yeah. like there's jumps in time, yeah. uh, there's jumps in generations. Yes. Yeah. Um, so could you talk a little bit about the structure of the book? The structure was the hardest thing about yeah, the book. Uh, <laughs> absolutely, and getting it right was by far the hardest thing about the book. Um, I started writing the book in January 2002. I, uh, I wrote about 40,000 words then. And what I had in mind at that time was a book like John Doss Passes USA, the work of John Doss Passes, where you have a whole lot of people you right. know, in, you know, experiencing kind of similar events. And, you know, uh, and yet, when I was writing it, that wasn't working. It was okay. falling apart in my hands. Though you can still see the snippets of that even throughout the book. Um, but I, you know, I came across a number of books. I mean, one of the most important one was uh, Warren Turpentine, which is a book by Stefan Heinemans, which had the figure, of, which had the idea of a journal. Right. And I thought, yes, that's it. But I, you know, I wanted in the way that also that, that to finish up with first of January 1919, because what can follow that? Yeah. Yeah. You're really badly waiting the book. You're making it very difficult. You know, what's your climax if that is your yeah, beginning? That's true. Uh, and so that that was, you know, a huge issue for me in the construction of it. So it took a long, long time. Uh, other things uh, came in. I wanted a, a kind of, you know, the 1936, which is part of it, which is partly, well, it's not my biography. It's my mother's biography. Right. Uh, even though I've changed an awful lot about that, my uh, my uh, mother's uh, mother died when she was seven, right. and herself and her brother Archie were shipped off to their grandparents in Tyree, yeah, uh, on the Isle of Tyree. So that you know the whole idea of of that, you know, that was her own, that was a very short period in her life, and she would always talk about it being the only happy period that she had in her childhood, because she was, you know, this constant change after that. So that was uh, it, you know, so I switched that to Lewis, so it became, but I grew up in South yeah, sure. 
but at the same time, um, uh, you know, and I, I switched, you know, in the sense it became a granddad that was the most important. So there's a whole lot of changes there in that. Um, but, you know, there is this genesis yeah. of a child, of, well, actually, in the case of two children, yes. um, taken out of, the, of Glasgow and sent to, you know, the Hebrides, in my mother's case, Tyree, and in the uh, uh, case of this book, Lewis. Because this, that move, um, is not just one which is geographical, but yeah. the cultural differences oh, and the huge, language differences. Huge, huge, huge cultural differences. And that, and that was it. And, you know, I always remember as a child, I mean, I, I, had, I was brought up in East Kilbride for the first yeah. seven years of my life, and then I discovered civilization, further <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, But I, what I remembered most, you know, as a child, were the differences in smells. You know, every house at that time had a different smell. You know, yeah. there was no spray of pledge or anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, or, and people, of course, back then, you know, you know, uh, sure, and even Brute 33 hadn't been discovered <laughs> then. But, you know, so you did notice very different smells in, in a community like Lewis compared to... East yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And I was very much aware of that as a child. That's what I used to notice all the time. So we've, we've mentioned that there's um, generational uh, shifts. So just so people are clear, how are the, the three generations related to each other? Well, they're all, you know, as I say, the, I suppose the initial is 1918, 1919. That's, yeah. Yeah, the major, that's the aisle there part. And um, you have a man there, you know, grappling uh, with his, uh, you know, second marriage, um, you know, to somebody he's lost his first wife, yeah. and and he's dealing with the grief of that, um, and that's part of the reason he signs up for the war. Yeah. So uh, you know, so that so they are, you know, that's the um, that's that's the one generation. There's a grandfather there, of course. He's a difficult individual. He, actually, I, I, I won't say who it's based on, but there was somebody not not in my family, <laughs> but elsewhere. He was quite. I remember being very unpredictable, and, and you hated working anywhere near him because he seemed to change his mind every five right. minutes. Okay. So that was the grandfather, and um, so that was one generation, uh, and that was, uh, you know, that was the granddad, and then his son. The next generation, which is Taramud, who goes to uh, 19, uh, who, who is you know the central figure of the old man in 1936, and, and he's the one who takes his grandchildren. He's yeah. lost his, his daughter, um, and he was you know a blacksmith, a wheelwright, you know, also working there. Um, and then the next generation is Alistair, who is the son, the boy yeah. in the first one, who is. A Glasgow art teacher, yeah. uh, and there was a reason for that, which is a strange one because I was trying to think about. Um, I I met somebody in my first teaching practice down here many many years ago who I thought was supremely talented, um, and he was an English teacher in Albert Secondary Springburn. But I noticed he was a fantastic artist, this right. guy, and um, I. 
it was Ricky Ross of oh, Deacon right. Blue. Yeah, so, <laughs> so he, in a sense, I'd always because what I remembered about him was he was really good at art actually, and, and, and never heard him sing at that stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I in, in a kind of, uh, and first of all, I was going to make him a Dundonian, and then. I went, went for a walk around Aberdeen one day and I realised, I know Aberdeen far better, why make him a Dundonian? Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> so Aberdeen, you know, um, uh, he became from Aberdeen and I hope nobody takes it an insult against the people of Aberdeen that, uh, you know, the old man is from there, you know, from the, the, the father. Um, I, I was interested as well about these sh shifts around the country because... Yeah there also takes on the different language yes. and how that can actually cause problems, misunderstanding. Misunderstand. But even Rachel, the, the, the daughter, I mean, I deliberately, in a sense, uh, you know, she's partly metaphor in some ways. Yeah. Because she, you know, through the fact that she is an elective mute, yes. uh, is unable to deal with language. And in a curious way, I think that is a metaphor for my native Lewis. Right. At sometimes, because they didn't know how to speak. They didn't know how to frame a narrative around their loss, which I think is, I mean, anyone will tell you. Um, well, you know, psychoanalysts, psychotherapists will tell you if you can frame a narrative around your grief, if you can express it, you're halfway towards healing. Yeah, yeah. And in a way, that's what Alice, you know, the, 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 the art teacher is doing here. Alistair is looking at his own life and he's looking for healing and I he's writing the book. Is that in a way an attempt, <laughs> what, what you are attempting to do with the novel? Yes. Yeah. Provide. Because that's, I mean, what <coughs> struck me about it, and, and it's happened with other um, people who spoke about Alan Massey, other, other historical yeah. novels which are um, a fiction as much as fact or yes. more, in fact, yes. is that they can often give people a greater insight into something than... than, than a factual. Than a no, I agree with... Yes, like I agree with that. And by taking um, this individual story... Yes. It can actually give you a kind of greater shared truth, I think. Well, that's, that's why I hope, you know, that's why I hope. I mean, we're always it's slightly inadequate to that task, you know, no matter how well you write, no matter how long you've been writing, you always feel slightly... You know, I'm hoping that I achieve that. I will fail, you know. And one of the, the other, another reason I, I used as a Glasgow art teacher, rather than a native Hebridean to use the story, a Glasgow art, art teacher of Aberdonian descent, is it allowed me to make mistakes? Yes. Yeah. And some there's sometimes deliberate mistakes in the book. Yes. For instance, uh, he writes about the church. He, he calls the church the Kirk. Yeah. No Lewis person ever calls the church the kirk. It's always the church in English. So that, in a sense, was... That was a deliberate error. And there are a number of others, you know, that are scattered through the book. But that also allowed me to get off with perhaps one or two others. And I suppose that one of the things and about writing on um, any real-life incident, particularly one which is so tied into people's ways, is there's a worry that how people take it. Of course there is, and of course there is, and and, and in so in a way, and and you know, I think um, my fellow Lewis people will say, uh, and I've seen this in my books before, they'll turn to you and they'll say, "Boy, who are the shin car? I shin car right to see your." 
you know, they'll say, Don, says, you got that wrong. You know, that's wrong in the book. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and of course, if you're writing a book of, say, 70,000 words, if you don't make a mistake somewhere in your narrative, you know, you, I mean, you're heading up for Superman status. Yes, you know, absolutely. Uh, yeah. and, you know, and so, so in a way that is, it allows me to create a wall and, 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 and become, you know, much more defensive. You know, it gives me a wall of defence, yes, rather than, and and I think particularly in a small community. Yeah. You know, it's, I think you can. There's probably enough places you can hide away in Glasgow from that. But just <laughs> once again, it's, it's when you're dealing with something on such a small. small one, yes. It, yeah. It, and have you had um, feedback about the book? Oh, I think people love the book. Yeah. I, you know, I, I generally, you know, as I say, you know, I, I, had, uh, I had kind words from uh, certain reviewers, and uh, <laughs> uh, people have, you know, and you know, both throughout. So I'm, I'm really gratified about the response I'm getting from people. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the kind of clash of the languages and what you were trying yeah. to say about that. So, because you think that has um, hurt Scotland as a nation? Yes. Right, okay. No doubt about that. Um, I think there's a lot of things that hurt about Scotland about a nation. I think, you know, for instance, you know, that, that there is this historical myth that, you know, the Scottish Gaelic came in from Dalriada and it was an kind of invading force. Mm -hmm. and, as I said, there's no evidence for that apart from the Venerable Bede. It is, you know, Gaelic communities and Pictish communities often existed side by side right. long before. You know, uh, you know, the Kingdom of Dalriad. I can't remember the year that happened, but that is, you know, and, and I, so I think that's been one of our national myths that it's in a sense an alien tongue. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Gaelic existed in every single uh, part of Scotland, with the exception of uh, Orkney, Shetland the borders, and a little bit of Caithness, oh my goodness, they make a great deal of this little <laughs> of what this little bit of Caithness. Uh, the rest of Scotland has evidence of Gaelic, you know, and, you know, for instance, Aberdeenshire, sometimes you get you know, the ones that come from, a, you know, uh, P-Celtic, you know, yeah. Pictish, Welsh, you know, whatever it is, background, it's almost alongside those that come from a Q-Celtic, you know, the, the Gaelic language. Uh, so that's one. So I do think that it, there are national myths about our tongue. Yeah. Um, and you, the letters page of the Scotsman, for instance, would show you that day upon day. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry, I, was, I don't know if that was. No, yeah, no, it is. Well, yeah. It does absolutely because I think there are these myths which um, have been allowed to yeah, permeate and, and uh, perpetuate themselves. Per yes, absolutely. Yeah. And whether. You know um, a, whether you could say it's Scots is the language, or whether it's dialect, or you yes, know you're yes. used to oh, the kind I agree of with that. Yeah. That, the, the Doric, Doric yes, which is what I use in the book, and yeah. I, I love, I love, and I'm Shetland now, and I love listening to the dialect there. I'm never going to master it. What? I'm never even going to attempt to miss that. You know what I mean? What I mean is, uh, I don't see why we can't uh, celebrate all these different no. types of languages and people writing them, and, uh, rather than saying, oh, we need one united. Yes. We don't need one united. No. It's, as long it's, as these don't fight against yes, each other. It provides a great deal of creativity. You know, we're, you know, the number of writers, for instance, at the moment that come from the Western Isles, yeah. you know, you uh, have... Um, 
Ian Stephen, Angus Peter Campbell, uh, Alistair McIntosh, uh, Malcolm Mackay, um, and Kevin McNeil, a huge number of writers from the Western Islands. More Neil Campbell. Did I say Neil Campbell too? Who's, who's the poet? I could yeah. say Angus Peter. And I, I'm worried that I may you, you miss. You will. I mean, yeah. there are so many that makes the point. That there makes the point. That, that yeah. may miss uh, some out. When I was growing up in Stornoway, there was something really wonderful about the mix of tongues. Yeah. You had Gaelic, and you know I was a hostile boy in Stornoway. We also used to mingle it in slang with Victorian English. We never, you know, sat up from a chair. We always levitated. We always perambulated downtown. Um, there was a fair amount of, uh, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the legacy of REF speech yeah, in the town. Yeah. Uh, it was wonderfully enriching. And I think it is that enrichment, you know, that you get... That's what leads to, you know, when you get languages counter-crashing, it makes people realise that words are not fixed. Yes. Yeah, they're uh, never fixed. They're never fixed. And so you get wonderful enrichment for that. So I think, you know, the more cultural diversity we have in terms of language, the more creative people are going to be. And I don't think that's just in... in um, in, in language, by the way, the, the number of, of, of singer-songwriters that are coming out from Stornoway at the moment, C. McLeod, Ian Morrison, uh, and, and there was like another guy I heard the other day, uh, I'll definitely miss somebody out <laughs> yeah. there, you know, uh, uh, there's a guy, Ian Casella McKeever, Willie Campbell. It's remarkable, yeah. you know, talent. Absolutely, it's, and actually, because uh, I cover quite a lot. Yeah. music on the, the site, and there's a lot of pop bands as well coming pop, out from the islands. the islands. And I do think that is, and the more we open our doors to other tongues, you know, there does seem to be, you know, the fear within Scotland that, you know, you know, oh, we never spoke Gaelic here, is you know, something I hear. Well, it was a way, Gaelic was a way of responding to our landscape, our yeah. history, our environment. And, you know, in a curious way, you don't get that from French, German, Mandarin, Chinese, Spanish. It's much more rooted here. It's much more a response to the geography of Scotland. Absolutely, and everyone's language is, is related to that. that Whether yes. it's urban, Glaswegian, exactly. you know, it, it, talk about the stanks or, the <laughs> or all these different things. things. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I do think it's, you know, I, I think for, to create walls around language is incredibly destructive. <laughs> it's incredibly insular <laughs> and parochial. You know, who cares, in a way, if you never spoke that long term there? It actually arose. You know, the, the, I'm talking about the Keith Ness people here, or, yeah. you know, or similar, you know, similar people. It arose in response to the environment that's within their country and, and not far. Why not use it? Why not utilise it? Well, I mean, another aspect that you touch upon in the book, which again, could perhaps uh, a lot of the things you just mentioned could be applied to it, is religion. Yes. Now you said perhaps one of the reasons the story hadn't travelled was that yes. Calvinist feeling of you have to throw it, yes. you have to just yes. get on yes. with it, what's the point in complaining? Yes, what's that's the point right. in that? And uh -huh. there's a great um, bit for me where you compare 
the idea for religious instruction in Glasgow at the time yes. to what was yes. the, 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 and the different levels. It's yes, like if you yes, do the Lord's yes. Prayer, I can't find it. Yes, I know. And well, you I can still proper instruction and yeah. know your text and know your scripture. But, and, 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 and do you know something? I think in some ways that was quite enriching. Yeah. Because, uh, uh, okay. I mean, I know the language of the Psalms. I know the language, you know. Uh, we, we had to learn, you know, Psalms. We, you know, we had to learn paraphrases. I don't, I don't even know if you know what paraphrases are. I don't. Uh, it's, it's, you know, um, oh, God, oh God of Bethel, by whose hand okay. I people. You know yeah, that? Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, catechisms. And, you know, Half the time I didn't know them. You know, yeah. the meaning of things. The rhythm of Psalms, particularly, is wonderfully lyrical and really, you know, even to this day when I hear the Psalms, you know, my father was a presenter in church. Right. And uh, there is a power to them. You can see why they've lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years because there's a power to the words that probably, you know, outside of. Well, classical myth might be a comparable thing, yeah. but that's you know the, the language is such the pearl language is is, is that that's one reason why. It's so lasting. these are almost our Greek tragedies. These are these, that kind of that that kind of thing. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I think they are there are Greek tragedies in Scotland. You know, I mean, I know that there, there is somebody who goes around saying the Odyssey was uh, set in the Hebrides and, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Corryvreckan was Scylla. You know the. But I, th I think we can dismiss that one. So the, the, you said that you got the idea of using the journals yes. um, from uh, a, a Dutch a, writer. Dutch writer. Um, why did you think that was a good way of doing that? Why do you think that Be was a good way of telling the story? Because, uh, to be honest, I couldn't see the way he would have come out with it aloud. Right. Because. Uh, he would perhaps have written down his private thoughts, and I think they did do that yeah. time and time again. Um, uh, it, it seemed to me that you know the, the gag of time and place was so firmly in place, yeah. you know, firmly there that um, that they would not have spoken to anything. So in many ways, the journals were a confessional. Yeah. Yeah. This is what was going through us. Well, the reason I ask is um, my experience, and it's a quite a limited experience of people in my family that were went to war and yes. came back, was that they were often very reluctant to talk yes, about it. That's at, same, all. at all, yes, and that's it. And so that, I think, that's why the journals, you know, necessarily when I read that book, I thought, that's it. Yeah. That's the, that's how you would do it. Now, as I say, the book is very different from mine. You know, it doesn't have the same kind of time structure, but you know, uh, the author of War and Paraphernalia, what you meant dead to, he provided an in, he provided uh, a way of accessing this story. Um, another thing that uh, fascinated me about it, and you, you, you crammed so much into yes. the book, but is the theme of class. Yes. Because. Um, there's um, now he's an officer. Yes, Foster. Yeah, who does? Now is he? He's not middle class. He's kind of officer class. Isn't oh, he is officer class, and and I also quite liked. Uh, uh, he, he's a, you know Foster, and, and I, I had him from Bandon in I think County Cork, which yeah. I, I know the place. You know, so I, I do know the place. Which was, I mean, Graham Norton comes yeah. from around there, <laughs> and again he comes from this Protestant. It was the only place with a Protestant working class outside of Dublin. You know, Dublin, of yes. course. Sean Casey would yeah, have been yeah. very much uh, Protestant working class. So I used him 
as as a kind of way in because he was also you know, by the time of course the war is over, he can foresee the day when he never no longer returns to Ireland. Yeah. yeah. That he himself is going to become an emigrant. Uh so that was another you know another reason for using that because I, th I think one of the things that's I remember reading a wonderful book by I think and I'm, I'm, uh, correct, a guy called Joseph O'Neill right. called Blood Dark Track right I don't know that and um, it is uh, uh, Joseph O'Neill who's the guy who wrote The Neverland you right. know uh, uh, that's his probably his most famous book had um, uh, 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 he had a Turkish grandfather on one side who was involved in, in uh, you know terrorism or uh, revolutionary terrorism against yeah. the state there he had another one who was involved in county Con uh, cork you know for the ira and so he came from this two tar but he writes um not a lot about the, the clearances of working class protestants yeah. from that area right. which is not something that generally Again, it's not really not spoken not, about. not really spoken about. Uh, you know, there was a huge dilemma. The work of Sebastian Barry again, which I think is wonderful. He talk he talks about the Catholic middle classes, uh, sorry, the Catholic middle classes who were somehow or other indebted to the state, and, and you know, a lot of them too left. Um, so I found that interesting because again, there is this uh, idea about he doesn't he doesn't see he has any place. Mm -hmm. in, in, in the country because of the events yeah. and a curious way that mimics you know Taramut's own feelings about so although they are from very different backgrounds, backgrounds. They, they seem they see some kind of a similarity together yes yeah. yeah. so the and, two and it really is uh, Foster who kind of fires the fires. imagination and, yes. and the artist in in, in the other yes that's yeah uh, the other thing is I know I mean it's to say I've been County Cork a few times so I know County Cork and, and so that was that became easier to write about than it would have been an English officer whom I don't think they would have the same bond at all because of the, the, the differences okay so as you come to the end and you know that you're gonna to have to tackle depicting the actual um sinking itself yes. which is very visceral and, and you know, it's an incredibly powerful yeah. uh, piece of writing uh, that must have been difficult to write that was really difficult to write uh there's two types of writing. The writer, someone said to me, there are pods and peds. I don't know if you've have you no, heard that distinction. No, no, uh, no. Pods tend to sit down all the time. When they're right. uh, I, you know, they're trapped in their own wee private pod, and that's great. I wish I was like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a ped, uh, which is pedestrian. Right. Uh, you know, a pedestrian in the true sense of the word. And uh, so the ped thing was, um, I walked it out. Yeah. I walked out everything. What would I do in that situation? What would I be seeing around me? And I used really yeah, you know, John McLeod's book. Yeah. Um, uh, which is an excellent book, which is the you know, the uh, you know, uh, the, the first history in English of the eyes that are going down. And I used that in a sense to plot my own movements out. Uh -huh. You know, I didn't do it in any diagrammatic way. I'm saying where would I be standing at that point? Where would he, you know, what would be happening? Sure. Uh, and yet, by uh, uh, by having uh, you know a Glasgow art teacher there, I was liberated in a way because I could actually get it wrong. Yeah, yeah, of course. I wasn't yeah, quite yeah. as crucial to get it right. Mm -hmm. uh, so 
I kind of imagined it, and you know, and, and uh, the other thing is, I wanted to do it as accurate as possible because I of knew course. some of the men, well, you know, um, who had been on the Isle there. You know, yeah. I knew some of them. Yeah. I knew, you know, I, the patch from our, uh, um, you know, our district who uh, I used to see walking. I think he died in his nineties. Right. He was an incredible. He was he was also a ped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He used yeah. to walk an awful lot. Uh, and I remember seeing John Finney McLeod in his boatyard, you know, my, my uncle Norman taking me into the shed. I think I don't know if I remember that mentioned that in the book, but uh, he was. Uh, he said to me, he says, oh, Donald, well, he said, uh, you're going to meet a hero. Right. And um, so I went into the boatyard, and it was this slight figure. Uh, with the standard, you know, scrubbed wood type of haircut and uh, cloth cap and dungarees and a shirt and I think he had a fag in his mouth. Right. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, you know, I had gone in there imagining, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a rather large heroic figure. And I remember feeling really disappointed, <laughs> you know, at the age of seven or eight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I saw him a number of times after uh -huh. that. I do remember... The initial... The initial, that initial response. And even, uh, I think the other thing is, it had a tremendous effect on me, that place, because... Um, he, they were working on the boat, and of course there was a the smell of wood shavings. So I think the smell was also, <laughs> you know, part of the reason why it stayed in my head. There was, was, you know, there was that smell all around the building. So I thought that was also, yeah, you know, that was another reason it stayed in my head, you know, for quite some time. So as we know, yesterday was the 100th anniversary of Armistice, and I'm yes. sure this is having its 100th anniversary, obviously. Yeah, in uh, first of January. Yeah, first. Um, was that one of the reasons for writing the book? Or was it just? Uh, well, I, well, the very fact that I started in 2002. Yeah, okay. Sorry, but it seemed almost as if the last while you had, um, you know. In a way, the, the the fact that I knew had I wanted to finish it, yeah, uh, and I'd finished a book called The Dark Stuff, which yeah. was also quite a grueling experience because the end of it is about uh, Nazi Germany and the concentration camp. Um, so when I started off, that I knew I had, so that gave me a real deadline to work to, yeah. uh, and I was very very lucky in a number of people, and I'll you know. Um, I was lucky in having it. A guy called Drew Ratter up in Shetland who said, "You've got to have a lot more about the boats, you know, the actual war itself." Yeah, yeah. So I went down here in Waterstones in Glasgow, and I spent a whole afternoon just going through the First World War books. And there's very, very little about men's experience yeah, in the First World War and at sea. It is all on the grand strategy. But I found. I think two books that worked, and I thought, oh, wow, take that one. And I didn't want an exact thing. What I wanted an idea was the scope of that war. So you got Jutland, you got the Mediterranean, you got off the coast of, uh, of uh, South America, you got the Fort Battle of Falklands. And I wanted that sense of, you know, just the enormity of that war. Uh, so Drew Ratter was extremely helpful in, in, in challenging me on that one. Um, and I think it is helpful to have people yes. in charge. Yes, absolutely. Um, Craig Hillsley of uh, uh, Sarah Bandbook, 
amazing, amazing man, and he helped me because the, the journalists were slightly more loose and told shift that, shift that. And, okay. and, and I thought, yeah, that works, yeah, you're right. And finally, you know, finally, I want to pay tribute to a, a friend of mine, Alec Clunas. And uh, now it's, you know, um, because I sent it to Alec Clunas, who was at one time the literature development officer for Shet and Darts, and, right. and then went to work in the poetry archive, I, uh, down, you know, which is based in London. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was also working at Teichar in, in Lochmadi, North Youth. And Alec was a special, again, a special friend of mine. And, um, uh, he said, you've got to do something with that opening. The rest of it is terrific. says, change the opening. Ah, <laughs> and, and when he did that, when he did that, I thought, yeah. You know how you know instinctively yes. when someone Some is right? Yeah. And I thought, yes. And so he was tremendously helped. Unfortunately, he himself has passed away. And, 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 and it was actually shortly, very, very shortly after that piece of advice being given. Uh, so that's, that's it. So... These, you know, there are many other people I am indebted to. You know, you know, we keep thinking a book as an individual enterprise. It's no. No, absolutely. It's not. Absolutely. You're, you know, in a sense, you know, I had this conversation. You, 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 you are writing a book, especially that one, on behalf of a community. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you're using your talents for that community. And in a sense, I mean, if you have faith talents have been given to yeah. you as a person, they have been given to you to use for others, hopefully. Well, I mean, I think it is definitely <laughs> a book about the community, but I think on a larger scale it's a book about Scotland in general, yes. and I think that makes it very, very interesting. Um, it's been long-listed for the Highland yes, Book Prize, yes. um, and I was having a look at that long list. Yeah, it's fantastic, fantastic books in it, yes, I was really, I was saying, one of the few book lists I wouldn't mind losing to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah no, I, it's, uh, and, and I think a few years ago you wouldn't have got on this book now with yeah. any connections to the Highlands and Islands, you know, um, there's been an explosion. Yeah. I think that's right. And I think it's great, you know. And, not and just I think from people who live there, but also from people who have gone, gone there. Gone there, exactly. Yeah. And you know, and I also think, uh, you know, Saraband, you know, with uh, the wonderful book, his bloody project by uh, Graham McCree Burnett, is, yeah. uh, it's partly responsible for that. It's, it, it, you know, it's it's wonderful to see that change. Wonderful to yeah, see that. Yeah, absolutely. And there, it's the books of all types. Type, all yes, that's right. right. Yes, it's, it's yeah. So it's no, I, I, I do love that. Um, well, I think that's the perfect place to yes, leave it, Donald. But uh, thank you so much that's for right. doing this. I hope I made a, at least a smidgen of sense. Oh, somehow. absolutely! So I'm really pleased because I think the book's just absolutely terrific. Okay, well, thanks very much. That's and um, best of luck with the launch. Okay, today. thank you very much. That's and we'll be back soon with uh, somebody completely different. <laughs>